so I'm like spreadsheet and stuff out and how you do it and I practice rolling and that which similar to coming up with like a monetary system it, it is it was the mechanics is the thing that really the juice that got me going on that one welcome to RPG ramblings with Jeff Jones it's a weekly show exploring the various details of the tabletop RPG hobby through discussions with interesting people. Today, Tim Satley joins me, and we discuss his upcoming MCC adventure, Get Me the Juice. Coming to a Kickstarter near you, we discuss adventure writing and other cool things. I know I can't wait to listen to it. In the show notes is my link to my Patreon. Unlike the price of everything else, support for the show remains untouched by rapid inflation, which in turn makes it a great investment. Even better than Bitcoin or NFTs. My lawyers tell me to add the disclaimer that this Patreon is not an actual investment, but this segment is meant only for parody. Sisters and brothers, there's a fun apocalypse over the hillside. It's time to get rambling. Hello, Tim. Hey, Jeff. How are you? I'm doing quite well. I see you've got a, a Mutant Crawl Classics Kickstarter going on, or will be going on. Yeah, actually, going to be a, a kickstarting that probably in August, right around August 1st. I was thinking about doing it in July. I mean, it's already done. Um, I just have a lot of personal family things going on in July, so I don't really have time to babysit a Kickstarter. So, <laughs> unfortunately, right. it's, it, it, have it's to like wait. planning a birth of a baby, right? Most babies, you can't plan the birth with our Kickstarter. It's like it's very much a very traumatic, soul consuming time. Yeah. <laughs> you might want to place that over events that you want to be uh, uh, present and aware and of good and of good mind. Yeah, uh, it, it can be. I don't know what I do. Uh, my first one, the thing that I think surprised me the most was how often I would l- like pull up to see, okay, did more people, you know, join in more people join in Not, And I didn't look at it like from a dollar standpoint, it was a, uh, how many people are getting this? Cause to me, that was a, you know, just, I was unsure of how much interest there would be. Right. Cause it's a, it is a, it's a leap of faith. Mm-hmm. Is because we don't have people asking for this. Nobody's come up and said, Tim, we've produced this module. We got 300 people. We're asking you to write this. Uh, quite the opposite, right? It's, it's just, you know, hey, I've got uh, some stuff that I wrote for, you know, the, the, the guys at my table that we normally play, that I normally play with. And, and I said, you know what? Let's throw this out in the world and see what the rest of the world thinks about it. And yeah, uh, I, so I did that with Scoundrels, which was the most weird project i've well and i've done that many projects but just a very out of the blue and i was just surprised that it that it even stuck i mean Mm -hmm. you just don't know yeah exactly it's i don't yes and no i mean it's i will say this i think that mutant crawl classic and you know dungeon crawl classic has a really strong following of people who love the third party stuff um and love the adventures and and actually was it was trevor stamper did a uh, on the rpg zine facebook page did a uh poll not too long ago to see what kind of content people wanted and overwhelmingly people were saying they wanted adventures so it just so happens that's the stuff that i've been writing <laughs> to play with you know for my guys to play with and for me to run with them and 
So, okay, hey, with a little bit of cleanup and some extra work, we can actually turn this into something. Yeah, and that's very challenging. You're right. And I think the thing is adventures do sell. And I think Mutant Crawl Classics forever, well, I think there's a number of reasons uh, that it, it's the hotness. I think I've never really, um, you know, talked to people behind the scenes of Goodman Games, but as far as they're very highly supportive of the third parties making mm-hmm. I mean, probably more than any other publisher is. Very much so. And I actually, I mean, from a third party standpoint, I love it because there's a lot of creative people out there who have interesting ideas and interesting ways of looking at things. And just, and I really appreciate the fact that Goodman is able to say, you know what, let me take a look at what it is you put together to make sure that it meets certain standards and you're not throwing something out there that is, you know, doesn't represent our image in a good way right um and then you know here's here's the license sign this and here's what you need to follow and as long as you follow that yeah go out there and make cool stuff yeah because i think everybody i've I've talked to that has published under of course not gonna say anything different but but in general everybody's been bringing glowing as far as the is the you know as the the community and also goodman gains themselves um you know, being very supportive and helpful and promoting um, these products. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's, and I, I think, I think you are probably right, at least with certain things, there's at least initially, you're probably going to get a certain amount of benefit of the doubt with a mutant crawl classics or even a uh, OSE uh, product compared to something that's just, or maybe even Markborg as well. Yeah. I don't, I'm not I'm not good enough of an artist to do Morkborg. I, I can barely draw a stick figure. So <laughs> I, write, I write content and I have other people make it look pretty with pictures. Well, it looks like uh, the cover for this one is uh, it's uh, give me the juice. Yeah, here. Actually, I got it right here. If you give me the juice. I actually have my my first print uh, test copy. So the inside's already done. But it's, yeah, get me the juice. It's a um, first level. What I decided to do is it's, it's a first level adventure. But what I'm doing is basing it around to where there's going to be a second, third, fourth level and continue on with the same, based off of one of the same concepts. And that's that, uh, I don't know. One of the things I like about Mutant Crawl Classics is the fact that it says, okay, what would our world look like in 500 or a thousand years when we have flying cars and laser guns and all these crazy, you know, you know, AI things doing all a bunch of stuff for us. And then it gets bombed back to stone age. Right. So it's the thing I like about it is, okay, I'm a business person. So I think in terms of businesses and what types of things would actually be around. And one of the things is, well, if they've got all of these, electronic goods and items and artifacts and things that they that they're using they need to have a supplier of power right right so i imagine that there would be some company in this case it's pc supply incorporated uh or pc storage incorporated who has who in my vision has thousands of locations all over the world so people can get batteries when they need them and after the apocalypse, all of those places are the ones that weren't destroyed are still going to be there and they can still be found. So it's 
kind of envisioning what it would be like uh, different areas. So, you know, this one is, uh, is based on a warehouse where they store power supplies. Well, right. In, in a world, I mean, that's kind of the, the whole, I guess, I don't say the shtick, but it's like, I, I would imagine, I'm not intimately familiar with Miracle Classics, but you have the primitive weapons, which would be, you know, like the firearms and so forth. But then, you know, the really good stuff is going to probably like, say suck up the juice, like your lasers and I assume plasma or whatever else, electrical uh, type thing. So that, that would be, but the question is, is it, but whoever has a large supply of that is actually, that's going to be a very politically powerful thing to own. Yes. Matter of fact, that is, that's how you keep power creep from happening as a, you know, a GM when it comes to MCC is by limiting the power and limiting their access to it and really watching, you know, certain things are going to suck up juice faster than others. Um, so someone could find something that's really cool, but yeah, you get two uses on it and it's done until you, until you find more power. So yeah. And that's actually part of what I've baked into this whole thing is they may find the power, but do they get to use it? Do they get to keep it? What happens to it? And that's actually when I look at level two, level three, level four, some of those may be clashes with other villages that are trying to get the same power that they're trying to get or you know maybe they've raided one an enemy village has raided a power supply station and uh they need to go stop them otherwise they're going to get crushed so it, it's as i'm looking forward with this you know there, there's a lot of different routes i could go well it also looks like whoever did your cover is um almost has a, a Richard Corbin vibe to it. Yeah, that was the, the guy who did the cover. His name is Gambit Melendez. I actually, so like I said, I'm a business guy. I'm not an artist at all. So I call my niece happens to be an artist and lives in Florida. So I called her and said, Hey, um, you just graduated art school. Do you know anybody who would be interested in doing some RPG art for me? And first she said, well, I didn't know you're that big of a geek. Second, she said, <laughs> yeah, you hit it well. <laughs> yeah. Second, she said, well, I got a couple people. Let me send some emails out. No, well, when, then... she said, so when she said, I didn't know you were that big of a geek. Yeah. Uh, was it a sign of like, oh, I didn't realize you're one of us? Or was it, oh, <laughs> Um. I'll be honest, I couldn't really tell because she's, uh, like I said, she's an art student. She's actually uh, now getting her graduate degree and works uh, in, a, uh, in architecture. So um, I, she's got her own, her own flavor of it, but I'm sure she's one of us. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, but that being said, she turned me on to, the, to, the, to Gambit. Him and I traded some emails back and forth. He's a gamer. And he's played some things. He's more of a comic book guy. Um, told him what I was looking for. And yeah, he came up with the cover and some uh, interior uh, custom pieces for it. And so, yeah, it actually worked out really well. I was really happy with it. Yeah, it just, it, it, uh, it seems very fitting. Like I said that the whole, are you, familiar, are you familiar with Richard Corbin? A little bit, a little bit. Okay. Yeah, so no, I thought that was really, 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 uh, 
really fitting uh, and it adds a lot of energy in the, the lines and of uh, it, it's just really well done, really well done. So you got a team assembled. Is that what you're saying uh, for this project? Um, well, essentially, the team is just, uh, you know, some people that I knew. Uh, uh, as far as like I said, I reached out. I got a hold of uh, Gambit. He did some stuff for me. I actually had um, Ed Bickford did some things. Uh, J.E. Shields uh, oh, did yeah. a few things. So yeah. a lot. There's stock art as well as um, some custom pieces. Basically, I had to go custom with the stuff that is just going to be found in this module, right? I made like the cover is that's a custom creature that I made up, right? It's a it's basically a cuttlefish uh, mutated with a salamander, grew legs, and is now walking through the jungle. So, and it attacks just like a cuttlefish, which if you haven't seen, it's a, a fairly cool process. Well, I think, right, as long as you're observing it, not uh, yeah. experiencing <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, the receiving end is not good. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to mesmerize you with my multi-changing colors on my on the pigmentation of my skin. And then while you're, uh, you know, while you're sh uh, enthralled by that, here, I'm going to shoot my proboscis mouth out and take out chunks. Yeah, not good. The, uh, and I think, uh, well, the other thing too is like, I don't know if consumers are this way, but I know, I mean, you and I maybe have gone through like drive through RPG and different things. And you've seen stock art, maybe other things. Now, like I can not always, always instantly pick it up, but man, a lot of times I'll look and it's like, oh yeah, I've seen that. Oh yeah, I've seen mm -hmm. that. Yeah. So I think yeah. definitely throwing a, a, a original piece on the cover is a great way to go because otherwise um, it may be less appealing. Did did you happen to see my first uh, one that went out? The, no. So it was called Tribal Games Tournament of Champions, which I, I don't know if you could see that one there. Yeah. That's a piece of stock art. That actually, I that was J.E. Shields did that one. And, you know, with the concept I was going with, I saw it and I was like, oh my God, that's perfect. And... So it was, he had done that, I think at a quarter page. So I reached out to him and just said, Hey, I want to use this for the cover. Is that okay? You know, I'll pay extra to, you know, to, to blow it up and make it the right size and give you the right pixel count and everything. And he just turned around, whipped it out and sent it back to me. He goes, here you go. So that actually worked out pretty well. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, he's, he's definitely, you know, one of us as far as a yeah. hobbyist for the, in the industry. So yeah, his 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 output's actually pretty amazing. I've not I've not used true. Well, I mean, for my own personal, actually, there's a project I'm working on that he he did the cover for, but it's not my. But it's a man. It's complicated. But anyway, but yes, uh, really good stuff and really great guy. Solid all the way around. Yep, yeah, and it depends. I mean, yeah, some of the stock art that you see out there is you know fairly thin pencil sketch that. You know, it, it reminds me of the old TSR stuff from, you know. Well, I don't mean days. so much that, but there's some sci-fi pieces that I see uh -huh. get used a lot, like a lot. Yes. And even even on covers, I look and like, yep, I know exactly which site you went to for that particular <laughs> piece. Because I've been tempted to do the same. Because, you know, I, I would look at it. So it's like, and some of those may be through other uh, uh, stock art sites, drive-through RPG, but 
but but sometimes but art's expensive i mean as well as it should be and sometimes stock art's really the only way to do it but where you can't afford it i think is where it's curb appeal with a cover yeah yeah and, and covers i mean from and just from what i hear a lot of people say you know covers really make a big difference so you want your cover to look good and well and the other thing it's a pride issue you know when i hold that up and say hey look what i made you want it to look cool right you right. want it to be it, it, it's because regardless of anything else i say what it is is a reflection of me i'm the one who put it together you know and that's what's sometimes hard because um you know you, you're you know, starting relatively, I started a while back, but it was just doing small projects for, and throwing kind of out there before I went okay. to Kickstarter. But yeah, so sometimes it's like I, I go back and I start looking and, every, and everything time I would do something, it was the best that I could do. But then I would look back, you know, sometimes it'd be like, oh, I <laughs> yeah, that was the best I could do. Oof. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like, well, I should probably polish this up. It's like, well, but if I polish that up, I don't have time to do this other stuff. And I get myself in this like, oh, well. Just yeah don't look behind just keep going forward well that's just it though we could always go back and clean something up or make something different or change something uh, eventually you just have to get to the point where it's like okay i'm done this is this is as good as i want to get it and um I, we could fiddle with stuff forever right it, it's matter of fact I was still just looking at it and rewriting some things and i'm like wait i'm done with that part <laughs> Yeah, it's I think I can't remember what the quote is, but it's like like artists never finish. They only grow tired of a piece or something like that. It's just, yeah, yeah. you know, there's a certain point where you just get to let it go. Uh, yeah, I I there's a point where I kind of get tired of it. I just want to fling it away. But uh, but anyway, it's just so, um, but oh, go ahead. Jeff, I'm curious, how, how did you get started in the industry and how did you get started doing this? So I started I this is. This is going to sound really, really, really strange. Um, but it, it all, so I tried writing things, not for publication. I started writing things for my own use. And it was very disjointed. It just wasn't very complete. It wasn't great. It was completely for my own consumption. And then I think on MeWe, I saw people doing zines. And okay. it's something about folding a piece of paper in half just changed my life. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. It makes no sense. In fact, even at work, I, I a lot of times will go grab printer paper, even at home, take several sheets, fold it in half, make like a zine out of it, but not staple it and use that format. And once, once my head saw, once I saw that, it, 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 it everything clicked. And then I, then I started, I started with, uh, caves of chaos for my own use i drew i drew uh the, redo the caves and then i reformatted it and printed it out and hand stitched it and and then i just kept kind of going from there so just played all eight and a half by 11 fold it in half and and let her rip from there my life changed <laughs> it, it sounds weird but it's it's it, it, there is something that there is something i think what it did was it made a way of producing information in a manageable way 
there's something manageable okay. about that format. And, and I, I've done bigger since then, but there's still something very, very, very fundamental manageable conceptually, visually, whatever for that size for me. So that's your bite-sized piece right there. You know, what yeah. the old saying, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? That's your, uh, well, that's then, your one bite. And that's what I did. And every time I did something, I would, I would, I would do it. I would keep doing projects and I started selling them on drive-through. Okay. Um, and I'm not necessarily recommending going looking for, for these either, but because some of them just need to be repolished, but I would put out another thing and then I would try and teach myself something for that next thing. And I kept doing that through projects. Gotcha. And so every time I do a new one, I'd say, what new thing am I going to do? And I, this time I'm going to add color. How do I add color? Okay, next I'm going to add this, what I'm going to do. And everything I did was an incremental step. And everything I'm still doing, I think, are incremental steps to whatever that is at the end. I don't know. No, I got, I got you. I'm right there with you. It was putting this was everything was something new that I had to learn. And then it's a different step in the process. And as I think about future projects, it's like, okay, well, what about adding like tarot cards or something to it? Or what about doing, you know, or, or some kind of tear out pages or, you know, what about in this one, I did NPCs that I got, um, I, you know, I used uh, some really cool format things for NPCs that are in there. So I, it, it's, Kind of like you said, it's pushing yourself to learn something new as you go through the process, which just expands the quality of the product because you're always adding new stuff to it. Yeah, and I think that that's just it. I mean, I think one of the reasons most of us are involved in this is because of the creative challenge to do it. Yes. And, and you can, you can go into typography, you can do the layout, you can go into writing, you can do all sorts of avenues of it's ways of expressing creativity. It is. And I've noticed everybody has a different part of the process that they really like. Like I was uh, listening to Trevor talk down to, and he's really, really into the actual building of the zine itself. Not yeah. The, not as much the content, but more the, okay, I'm pressing the paper. I'm doing the foil stamping. I'm, you know, all of the different things to, you know, and really into what, what paper am I using and how you're putting together the physical thing that is the zine. Um, and like, for instance, I'm much more into the content side and the layout side not necessarily the printing side, right? So everybody who does this, their creativity lies in a slightly different part and everyone's looking at different things. And it, it just, it's, it's kind of cool to see and learn from other people that are interested in other areas. Well, then, then I think it's true. And I think there's also some things you just have to do that you don't really want to do, but to get it done, you have to do it. Like, yeah. You know, and, and like even Kickstarter, you know, <laughs> hey, welcome like, to life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. But if, no, I was even thinking about, you know, because I'm doing a RP, uh, doing an RPG, basic uh, Journey to the Madlands. I'm, I'm changing the format, but I'm going forward with that post apocalyptic zine. Okay. But as I'm doing it, I realize like as, as, as I keep doing 
projects, I start really realizing where my strengths are and my weaknesses are. And mm-hmm. so I just see you've got a level one adventure. And I realized, I think it would kill me. It would kill me to write a, 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 a adventure that size. I, Why is I, that? It, Why do you think that? I'm curious. I've, I've heard you say before that you don't write adventures and I'm curious as to why that is. I think it's because I, I don't know. It's a different way of thinking where I try it. It just doesn't work. I'm not saying I could never do it that I may not get better at it, but I find there are certain things that just come more natural to me and take less effort. Okay. Interesting. To me, the adventure comes very naturally in that it's like telling a story. Okay. How do you start the story? You know, what is the, you know, what is your, you know, your prologue, right? What is the beginning of it? Um, what it give, you have to lay out some paths that the, that the adventurers can take, give them choices that they can make as far as where they want to go, have a defined goal as far as look here, here's what needs to happen. And there's multiple ways for you to be able to solve that goal. And then throw some obstacles in their way. And so you've got a distinct, okay, here's the beginning. Here's the goal of what you need to get done. And then throw a bunch of obstacles and other things in the way so that they can, you know, walk around and bump into them. And, you know, maybe they'll miss some of them. Maybe they won't. I don't know. Every, and that's the funny part is every table is slightly different. You know, like for instance, the guys I usually work with are explorers and they want to open every door and search through everything. So I can't just half ass it with, okay, oh yeah, here's some rooms. Yeah, maybe I'll fill those. Right. You're just going to throw in some key NPCs for them to talk with, but that that's not important to them. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, then there's other people who are very much into the role playing side of it. So you, that's when you want to have fleshed out NPCs and, and scenarios where they can, you know, kind of focus on that. So it's, I don't know, what is, what is your base adventure? It's, you know, you've got puzzles, you've got mazes, you've got, um, you know, combat, you've got role playing. Uh, different challenges that they need to go through. And it's just kind of putting them in a, not a sequential order, like a train tracks, right? You don't, you don't want to railroad it, but at the same time, okay, here are the key pieces they need to hit. So I, what I thought about doing, and I still may do one day was write a traditional adventure, but then, then flip it on set. So okay. the, the concept was, I still want to do, but we'll see if I ever get it done. But I, is the idea is, is run an adventure is being that the, the characters are goblins. Okay. And, and then it would be like a hex crawl sort of thing. So you still would have your ogres and your orcs and your bugbears and your humans, but, but it would be from the vantage points of orcs and that yes. works, but of goblins. And the idea is they're kind of like the punk rockers that are kind of the oppressed ones. So they, they just can't get a good shake no matter where they go. You know, <laughs> rangers are hunting them down, killing them. The, yeah. the orcs are actually holding like maybe their village hostage and using it for slave labor. I mean, it's like, but take what would be traditional, but then flip it around to a different vantage point where, you know, the goblins aren't maybe necessarily good people, but, but it's 
seen from a vantage point of, of people that just like really maybe through no fault of their own, they're just getting a bad deal all the way around and having to navigate. So like maybe the navigating of the orcs isn't killing them, but it's, it's having to trick them to do certain things or having yeah. to free your people from, you know, from enslavement or whatever it may be uh, making deals with ogre. So that everything that you'd have to do wouldn't be from, uh, from a vantage point of power, but from a vantage point of, of being conniving. Gotcha. Someone, I can't remember where, but I read something similar in that someone redid, I believe it was Lord of the Rings from that, from that vantage point. And it was, you know, at some, I don't know. I, I just glanced at it. I didn't actually dig in and read through it, but it, uh, I did get a chuckle out of the fact that, okay, Hey, let's, Let's see what it's like to go and try and kill Bilbo instead of be Bilbo. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I, and I, but the point is, is I think, you know, all I really need to do is just write a traditional style adventure and then flip it. But then I just found myself having problems doing that. So it's just, uh, I don't know. It just yeah. may be, it may be, I think most of the time I've written, done stuff for myself. It's just been one adventure ahead of where the, the players are at rather than actually doing something more fleshed out so maybe that's the yeah difference. i actually i started writing judges aids um mcc the the book is a little thin compared to like the dcc manual even yeah. though i really like i like the mcc format and there's certain things in there that that they cover but then they really don't delve into further and so as my party was going through and as I was running table through different things, I was like, you know what? I want a little more meat on this bone. So I, and I really like the random roll tables. I love, matter of fact, one of my favorite books that, that uh, Goodman put out was the 50 things to do with a D 50. And uh, it, which is just 50, actually, I think it's 52 um, random tables where you roll a D 50 for, to come up with something. And, so I really liked the random rolls and I just started creating different tables for me to use when they, okay, you know, Hey, okay. You get back to the village here, roll these, roll a D eight, a D four, a D six and a D 20 bam. And then, okay, here you go. This is what happens when you get back to the village. So. Yeah. And I find for myself, I've even for doing creativity, I've created random tables for myself. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think for me, generating that is easier than just, and maybe that's part of the problem too, with some of the stuff. Yeah, I would say with adventures, it's still, it's still more, running something from a people at my, my home group, that's, that's not necessarily as much of a problem, even though it's, it's still not easy, but trying to actually, to actually do something published and being an adventure, I find daunting. Mm-hmm. But it's just, but I mean, everybody just got their own skill sets. It's just what it, what it comes down to. Um, yeah, I mean, I wrote, matter of fact, it was funny. Is the, I never thought of really publishing anything until, so I had written some stuff and I actually reached out to, uh, I don't know if I should use his name, but I reached out to someone in, you know, over Facebook who I've never met before. And just basically said, hey, I wrote some things. I'm not looking to publish them. 
I just, you know, you're intimately involved with this product. What do you think of this? And so I sent it over to him and he's like, yeah, I'll take a look at it for you. So I sent it to him within like an hour. He emails me back. Hey, I want to print this. I want to buy it. And I was like, you're kidding. I just was looking for validation <laughs> if I'm on the right track or if this is total crap. And <laughs> so he's like, no, I really like it. I, I, I see what you're doing with this. I see where your head is at and you are on track. This is it. So I was like, okay, cool. So I started writing a couple more things. And next thing I know, I actually wrote this adventure, Get Me the Juice and used it at the table and the guys had a good time with it. And then I'm like, Hey, maybe I should publish this. And then I saw how much it cost to, you know, to pay artists for what they want, what they do. And you know, it, it's, I want them to earn what, the, what their stuff is worth. Right. So I'm not going to cheap out on it, but at the same time, it's like, okay, if I go dipping into my bank account on this, I don't think my wife will have a, um, a happy day that day. So it's, I said, okay, well, you know what? I had literally written another thing, which was the tournament of champions, which was more of like a, uh, call it mutant crawl Olympics. It's just a series. Uh, it envisions that all the local tribes get together once a year for an annual event and they do contests against each other. So it's essentially like mutant crawl Olympics. I'm like, you know what, I've already got this one that's done and fleshed out. And I think this would be really easy to do with just stock art. So I did a stock art module with that and all the proceeds I used to pay for the custom artwork on this one that I'm putting out now. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely one way to do it. Because I think one thing you could run in if you're using Kickstarter to fund art for a project that you're that you're working on, I mean, if you're doing project A and you're kickstarting project A and you're using Kickstarter funds to fund for art for project A, you run the risk of, of blowing your timeline because if they're late on yes. that art, don't show up. Because, <laughs> because you know, artists have lives too and things get messy. Like, yes. And that's why, and that's one of the things I learned by, I, I call it, you know, I went to YouTube you, which is I watched a bunch of videos. You know, I listened to your show and thank you for that. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Uh, you know, Trevor and Ed on, you know, the Scribnery and uh, Levi and Skeeter and Jim Wampler and, and all these guys over at the, you know, Independent Publishers Union, which is not a real union, by the way, right. <laughs> uh, as they say. But, um, I, you know, watch their, the videos that they did of the, um, you know, their seminars that they did at cons and just paid attention to it. And that was where I picked up the thing. Hey. Uh, watch the timelines. Uh, writers and artists can get flaky as far as timelines and getting things done on time. And just by listening to that, I, I used their experience to come up with, let's call it my module zero, which was the one that was 100% stock art and a cool concept and a lot of fun to play. And then I'm going to do this one where I literally, I think my out-of-pocket on it, not including shipping and everything like that, was less than 100 bucks. Once you throw, okay, printing and shipping, which I did all through DR, you know, drive-through RPG with print-on-demand, 
okay, you throw that on there, that ate up maybe 30% of everything I made. All the rest of it was just profit I could use to roll into artwork for the next one. And I'm one of, I want, the way I mentally work is I don't need to add stress to my life. My life is stressful enough. My career is stressful, right? Next week, I'm driving my daughter to New York because we're moving her to New York. So I've got, you know, just everything in life is throwing enough stress at me. I don't need the stress of trying to get something done because I owe it to a bunch of people who have already paid me, right? Yes, yes. So I walk, my goal is to walk into any Kickstarter and have at a minimum, the digital project 100% done on day one before I even start the Kickstarter. With this one, I'm going to have not only the digital product, but also the print-on-demand product ready to go day one. So as soon as, you know, as soon as Kickstarter cuts loose the funds after two weeks and says, hey, here's everybody who actually paid, and here, you know, so this is who gets it that day I could send out the digital and the print copies. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. Uh, I've not gotten quite that ambitious by trying at least be at proof copy uh, point before I run the Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. I just, uh, that's just me. I don't want. That. Well, but, you, but, but the thing is you're right. Every, the closer you get to completion of your, of your product, by the time you hit Kickstarter, is less stress afterwards and during. It's more stressful having to owe something than it is to you know get something ready for something. I agree. 100%. Exactly. Exactly. Because I think what can also happen, like for instance, you know, yeah, because my stuff, I will not, you know, I would be more likely if it's ready for print, um, you know, fairly close. I'm more more open about that but but waiting on on writing the writing's got to be done the art's got to be done everything's yeah. got to be you know that part has to, for, for me to feel comfortable it has to be 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 that way and i think the the run the risk you run or at least can run is that if you don't have your writing done you don't have your layout done you don't have your art done you you are going to be likely to be a person's likely to be tempted to shortchange the product due to stress yeah that's true. My uh, funny thing, my so my first job out of college was I worked at an ad agency, and it was interesting. Is you'd go in the room where all the copywriters were, and you had basically people sitting around and doing nothing, and other people working feverishly, just writing like crazy. And it was like, what's going on? Why aren't those people working? Well, they are, but they're not doing anything. And those guys are working like crazy. They're like, yeah, because they have a deadline those people that have a deadline in two weeks. So <laughs> they'll start writing feverishly in about another six days. So it's, it, and it's, so I just, I don't know, seeing how things go mentally. I just, like I said, I'd rather I'll write it. And the other thing is it, it, I tend to take, I want to say I take my time when I write because some things I knock out really, really quick, but a lot of times I'll write something and then I'll just, set it aside and like a month later i'll come back to it and start making changes and expand on it and and make adjustments so it's the writing process for me is very sporadic so once again that's part of the reason so I say, for you I want it if, done for you is this is a sporadicness 
actually have to do with content and changing around the content or is it quality? Like you're saying, oh, this could be written better. Quality, it is. I, it's one thing, I, someone, God, I learned a long time ago that it, the hardest thing to do is to sit down and stare at a blank page and write something. So I'm of the mindset that start writing anything. Yeah. Even if it's like, I'll be writing, okay, so they're going to do this and then this happens, which is going to cause a crap load of damage. And then this is going to happen, which is going to be really cool. And I don't know what it is that's going to be really cool yet. I'm just writing. Right. And then, then I'll come back and start, okay, I'm going to take this piece out and I'm going to start working on this. And then, so I kind of cut it into bite-sized pieces. And like one of the modules that I'm working on right now, um, it's going to be about 11, I've broken it down into about 11 separate chunks. And then each, you know, like call it room one, two, three, four, right? 11 rooms. It's not rooms, but 11 rooms, let's call it. And okay, so let's, today I'm going to write up what's going to happen in this room. So I do the description and then it's going to be, okay, what we're going to find. Oh, okay. Now I have to stat block this. Okay. Right. So it's, and then the, it, it just lets me work my way through it piece by piece without, ha- you know, looking at the, the whole thing at once. Yeah. And I think, you know, and I think I'm kind of the same way. It's kind of the, the whole, um, you know, the, what they call that, where they would, the, the auguaries, where they would like, you know, cut a chicken open, dump its entrails out and search around to see what the signs are. <laughs> There's a certain amount of like poking around the tea leaves, you know, and finding patterns. And, and I think you're right. I, I tend to work in a, it can be somewhat chaotic manner, but then as you work, it's kind of almost like a fractal. It's like there's chaos, but as you start zooming out and it keeps going on long enough, there is a pattern. You start seeing the patterns and you start yep. shoring things up and, and filling things in. And, and uh, then the ways the path becomes very clear. Yeah. I guess for me, that's, and that's kind of how I think it. like the, the adventure is the forest. So now I got to break it down and start working on the individual trees and then make sure that, Oh, wait, this tree doesn't belong in the forest. Yank it out, start over. Yeah. And I think the thing is too, it's like, you know, I think some people, you know, have, um, some people when they write, they, they probably already kind of create an outline first, but I think the stuff I'm doing, it's definitely just, I just, just start writing and I don't have a writer's block. I just, just start writing whatever yeah. comes to mind and just put nonsense in there. And then occasionally I'll <laughs> reference that nonsense and make, make it define that nonsense. And Maybe that generates more nonsense and then pretty soon I get enough nonsense together. It actually makes sense. There you go. That, that's how it works. You just start throwing stuff down. It's and Holy cow. Wait a second. I, that that's really cool. I can't tell you how many times I've gone back and looked at something and think, okay, that was neat. I can't believe I thought of that. And then other times I go back and what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> yeah. This whole thing is gone. Re, okay. Redo this. <laughs> Yeah, and I think I mentioned before, I mean, there are there are modes. I mean, when you're in the, to me, when you're in the writing mode, the creativity mode, you can't be in the edit mode. You have to be allowing it to come out, whatever that is. Yeah. And then, then later on, it's like, okay, now I can critically look at this and excise what needs to be taken out and buffer up what needs to be buffered and polish what needs to be polished. But you really shouldn't be doing that while you're, you're creating, making stuff up. 
uh, for me, it's a constant, I'm constantly doing both in that I'll write stuff down, but then I'm, I, it's a constant cleanup process. And it's so do you clean, clean up what you just wrote immediately? Or are you just cleaning up something else that you wrote earlier? Earlier. Something See, that's I where I am. So, that, yeah. yeah. I'm just saying you can't be going through the edit while you're trying to write it. You have to like get gotcha. it out gotcha. and then go okay. back. And it's like, cause it's, cause you, you don't want to be hampering your thinking, but then once you're in another mode, then you go like, even if it's an hour later, you can kind of go back and, and visit it, but you don't want to hamper that creativity while it's flowing. Yeah. And, and that's like, I'll do conceptual writing where it's, where, you know, like I said, the forest and the trees, the forest is okay. Wow. would be cool about this. Oh, wait a second. And what if these guys come in from over here and then are, oh, wait a second. Okay. We'll bring this in over here. You know, so that's all the, the conceptual stuff that just kind of really free flows in. Um, and that's why I talk about it. Okay. Yeah. I'll come back later and be like, yeah, no, those guys can't come in. That just, that doesn't fit. I guess. Right. And that's another thing too, is I'm very, very particular about making sure that if something is there, it's there for a reason. And it's there. It's not just, you know, oh, hey, you open a door and hey, look, oh, here's a bugbear. Okay, well, how did the bugbear survive in that room? Right. I mean, there's no way for it to get food. There's no way for it. You know, it's not like it's not like when I was a kid, you know, back in, you know, sixth grade and I'm at home drawing little dungeons and okay, yeah, this monster goes in there because it's in the monster manual. Right. And I, I didn't think about any of that stuff, but now it's like, okay, if they're there, how did they get there? Why are they there? What are they doing while they're there? That, that, I guess that's the, you know, as you mature through it, you got to start thinking through those things. Yeah. What's, what's interesting. Cause, and I think I went to maybe kind of an extreme, um, I don't say extreme, but yeah, things need to be fully defined. But then recently I ran some people through the incandescent grottos, which is an old school essentials okay. adventure. And it's like, you know, why are there so many groups of people so closely packed together in these caves? But then there's people running through it. Nobody questioned it. Nobody cared. <laughs> <laughs> I think if I write the adventure, I'd be like, no, we can't have this. We need to add, you know, where I realize, you know, it's kind of interesting. I don't know where that balance is, but I, I agree with you. You want things to make sense. Um, and uh, kind of sometimes okay. it's always not easy to determine where you're just going overboard sometimes. And when, like I would tend to do. Well, if there's a bunch of people there cramped in the, you know, closed spaces, how are they interacting with each other? You well, know, yeah. Well, the, the intent is that they are interacting with each other to a certain oh, degree, okay. but it's, it, it's, but it's like, there's a lizard man or the troglodyte group and there's a kobold group and then there's another group and okay uh, but i mean but you know i'd be thinking about like okay where's their water coming from you know yeah food where, yep. where are they getting their food and, well if it's, if it's gonna be subterranean how are things growing or do they do they have to go up above and what are they using for a latrine <laughs> i mean like i'd be it's like that's what i'm saying is i think i could go take it to the extreme or the point where Nobody cares about that, Jeff. <laughs> it's like you you do that during movies too, don't you? Hey, yeah, that well, wouldn't be like that in real yeah, life. <laughs> oh yeah, I I am I don't necessarily always fault a movie depending on the genre, but yeah, I don't turn my head. My head does not. My brain does not turn off during watching a movie. 
yeah, at all. Same, same here. I'm the same, same exact way. Wait a second. That doesn't work. <laughs> that wouldn't happen. <laughs> I'm, I'm forgiving. I'm forgiving with whatever foolishness they want to put on the screen as long as it's consistent with what it is that they're trying to do. Yes. So yeah, if it's a mind candy movie, yeah, I'm definitely more forgiving. Yeah, it's like it's Star Wars. I'm not going to really worry about, you know, does a lightsaber really work? And but then but there's other points where it's like Princess Leia flying in space. Yeah, sorry, that's where you lost me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's that? She got sucked out of the window in this into the vacuum of space and then floated back in and survived. Yes. Uh, I just yeah, I'll take the I'll take the plasma sword, but yes. that one just right that just was be, where i drew my limit yeah exactly <laughs> and, and so uh and many movies are like that like you know even like buckaroo bonsai i love that movie um but, yeah, yeah you know but it, it it's in it's whatever they do is internally consistent they don't try and go outside of that and pretend to be something else so and so anyway i think that's kind of with games it's, it's the same sort of thing you know where you know we all and even with adventure like being crawl classics is a prime example right this is not um this is not the moral project mm -hmm. i don't know if you ever played the moral project i have not no no it's it's square faced uh you know this is an apocalyptic game of realism you track okay. how much radiation your your guys have been subjected to and you start hitting certain amounts you'll start you know internal bleeding lesions vomiting blood i mean there's it's it's a you get shot by something you, you may go into shock and they bleed out i mean it's it's a very you know realistic it sounds like oh yeah and and yeah it's 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 a product of its time but it, it's but i think the thing is but compare that to like mutant crawl classics like nobody wants that people want the want the, the fun crazy stuff of mutant crawl classics so it's like they're not gonna nobody's worried about that you know radiation creates mutant powers or you know and yeah uh, moral project would be like no you're talking about you'd be you'd be dead you walk into that that room, that radiation, you'll be dead. We're here. It's like, no, I guess I'm, I now have a third arm and my eyes just falling out. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, that, which is the fun of the Mutant Crawl Classic. I mean, it's the creatures have grown up with radiation. So they have either a mutated or are actually the pure strain humans are mutants themselves. Their mutation is that they are immune to radiation. Ah, that's kind of clever. Yeah, so it, they are mutants as well. It's just their mutation is slightly different. But it, it's funny is uh, with Mutant Crawl Class, it's I, I talk to a lot of people who when they try and figure out what it is, they're like, okay, well, look at DCC and you've got magicians, you know, or your wizards at DCC. Okay, that's a that's a shaman in Mutant Crawl Classics and your warrior fighter is a sentinel and right. And they try and do this crossover. And I always disagree with the crossover that a lot of people come up with, because when you look at when you look at DCC, the uh, all the spellcasters, you know, they're using either mercurial magic or they've got the you know you've got the table of how your spell goes off, right? That's how mutants operate. Your mutation is almost as if you were casting a spell. The shaman, to me, seems more like a a tech wizard who can use really cool artifacts and has a good time understand 
an easier time understanding the technology. And therefore, based on, you know, instead of spells, it's wetware, it's software programs. So based on whoever it is they use as a patron, they get different skills. Some of them are thief skills. Some of them may be more druid-like. Some will be more warrior-like. And it allows the shaman to be just basically, you know, a, a techno wizard that gets to use cool artifacts and is flavored in a certain fashion. Like, you know, hey, here's my, you know, you could have a fighter, uh, a shaman that's, you know, follows Mangala, which is one of the, uh, the warrior uh, classes. And, you know, they got a plasma sword and a suit of armor. <laughs> and they're, you know, they're a frontline fighter, but they're the shaman. So it, it is slightly different. Yeah, it is. And it's, it seems like, uh, you know, they took kind of what was, I think, the theme of, of Gamma World and then just kind of amped it up to a new level. Well, that was, uh, Jim Wampler was a big Gamma World guy. I mean, yeah. that was, he played that for a long time. If you read, you know, if you talk to him and talk about his, you know, his history, Gamma World was his thing. And then he created, you know, this for Goodman Games. And so I, it's kind of you could see how the one folded directly into the other oh yeah it is it is definite that gamma world has i don't want to say it's it's not quite like D D that it kind of had a wide re, like dnd created its own genre but yes. in a sense gamma world did too i would say yes because there's really there's been a little bit like it in literature but i think in general as far as gameplay uh there's kind of not been any sort of thing parallel with it just people that have kind of taken it and put their own slant on it yeah and, and it's a very different post-apocalyptic world i think about 90 percent of the post-apocalyptic stuff that you see and it's like a gloomy just nasty you know very film noir type scenario um whereas with mutant crawl classics and gamma world it, it's you know lively jungles it's almost like you know a mutated amazon if you will yeah almost like an kind of alien world yes and i think you're you're it's like aliens exploring an alien world <laughs> the to me it's the gamma world before it almost felt like in some ways it was actually kind of a game of of a post-apocalyptic superheroes Mm -hmm. but not every but not every but a lot of instead of having a lot of cool powers a lot of times they were just have you ever played gamma world yes i've played a couple times okay yeah because you could just wind up with characters are just unusable yeah <laughs> <laughs> well mcc you can roll up a zero level character that is a stillborn <laughs> dead on birth <laughs> you roll a uh you roll a what like a negative two on your stamina modifier and then you roll a two or less on your uh hit points and uh, you're dead well that's uh that's like shades of traveler there yeah yeah what traveler is one that i'm not familiar with that it looks interesting though it's something i'm gonna have to check out it's uh so it's just it's a 2d6 system okay and, you, and the cephas engine is is the is like kind of taking the srd for mongoose and they made it a free system um, but it's, it's 2d6 your stats and attributes are they take damage 
and um and the original traveler a lot it would the idea was it was you'd enter some sort of service and for a certain amount of terms you try and get skills during that time and one of the things that could happen okay. is if, if you could die so you could keep going in certain in terms of service into navy marines merchants um but there was a pressure luck mechanic too is is you just die yeah <laughs> it's a scary time that's you know i i think I, I that's one thing i think to me is very important to have as part of your overall gaming experience is that your characters can die if i'm not now grant i'm not going to bash 5e i actually play it with my brother-in-law and and his kids and whatnot but um the one thing i don't like about the whole 5e type uh, world is essentially you're creating superheroes right you're creating these unkillable people with backstories and you know that that have all these you know just these basically trying to create a hero arc for their for their character um i grew up with ad and d where you know you just kill people left and right so for me that was always half the fun so i like the kind of games where you've got that Oh, okay. You took them up to here and they died. Okay. Time to go get a new character. Let's start over. Yeah. I think the thing too is with the, with the bounded accuracy and with the higher hit points, fifth edition is meant to have a, uh, a rapid exchange of combat with people hitting and points going down. I mean, it really kind of creates that where a lot of the other editions, I think it's, it's somebody was posting, it's harder to hit. And I think, mm -hmm. but it's also more dangerous. So, you know, so it's like with old school essentials, especially your hit points are really low or can be really easy to walk around with one hit point. <laughs> yeah. And what they say is, you know, in these games where your hit points are low and the damage is hot, potentially high, uh, that combat is a fail state. Like if you're into combat and you have not, not gained an advantage beforehand, you failed somehow. Yeah. Which and and that I guess that's the other thing too is as you go as you grow up in gaming, you know, everybody starts out as a murder hobo, right? Every yeah, kid yeah. Go. my 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 daughter when she was nine got her into a game and all she wanted to do is kill everything she came upon. So it was <laughs> you know, but that's just the way it starts. But eventually you start getting more into the the puzzles and the exploration and the you know the the other things. What are the you know, what are the little hidden things that are in there? Yeah, I've also talked to my son, uh, my youngest son, and uh, I was, was kind of talking about differences of play and what people come. But I know, like, um, especially for, for younger people, it's like, let's say I create a world or a, a game, we'll run through a scenario, and let's just say it's something like Greyhawk. Yes. In my mind, I kind of create the setting, the characters all fit within the world and the narrative all works. The world and the characters kind of work back and forth. Where for a lot of times younger people was like, well, I want to be a dragonborn. So less interested in the meta narrative of the universe, but more yeah. interested in the narrative of their personal character doing cool stuff. Yes. And which, which I find is kind of an interesting uh, split between, it can be a split between people as far as it's, where they come to play. 
You know, I, you nailed it on the head there. And it's, I live that on a regular basis. My brother-in-law is really, really, really big into Greyhawk. I mean, he doesn't even want to play anything that's not Greyhawk. That's right. His, that's his bag. <laughs> and he'll run games and it'll be, you know, my nephew, my niece, my daughter, myself, my other nephew and niece. Right. So it, it's, we'll do games between all the kids and he'll sit there and, and talk about you know all the different you know the heraldry and all the different parts of of this and the kids are like yeah i want to kill something (laughs) wait what do we get to do yeah it's what i want to do this you know and it's just it's funny to see from just to stand back and watch it and i know it i know what you know josh's you know bag is what he really likes about it and that's cool and i see what the kids like about it which is something totally different so it's like, okay, yeah, well, how do we get those together? Well, that's what's hard. I mean, obviously, ultimately, I don't want to sound wrong-headed, but you, you got to cater to the character or to the players at that point. <laughs> it's like, yeah. But, but yeah. I think that's a GM's curse, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I, you've got all, and that, I guess that's a hard part as a GM standpoint, is we read the adventure and we see all the background, right? We know exactly what building they're going into and all this. And the part that I'm struggling with right now is how do you get some of that information to the players so they understand what's going on? You know, it, it, it's, you know, like I could write this really cool backstory about what's going on with the warehouse, but the players will never get that. It, it's something no. for the, the GM is the only one who's going to read it. But I think even like, even from like a cultural standpoint, of a game you could give hints like you know maybe you're listening to somebody and then maybe you hear him speak a few uh phrases go back greyhawk sulis and you're like and but maybe that's a hint that they're part of the scarlet brotherhood mm-hmm. which means they're trying to undermine that they're actually not who they say they are if it's like you know as you say it was your brother that that's the one that loves the the greyhawk and my uh my um brother-in-law your brother-in-law now, yeah. your brother-in-law, that, that'd be cool if he could do that. You know, he'd like say, oh, some, and then some people pick up on it. They'd be like, oh, wow. But but nobody wants to read hundreds of pages of, of lore if they're not immediately interested. I mean, the, the richness you could create if everybody collectively was engaged as your brother-in-law was and the types mm-hmm. of games you could play, the hints that could be given. But it's very rare that you can actually find somebody that really cares much about your world that you're running as you, the GM. <laughs> Well, I mean, that, that's actually him and his buddies. That's what they do. And, you know, more power to them. That's awesome that they, they're, you know, they're all really into that Greyhawk scene. And that is, you know, and I, and that actually could probably be part of the reason why he doesn't want to play other, uh, other systems is just because he likes that, in, you know, just how it, immersed everybody is in exactly like what you're talking about that they'll pick up on those little things. Right. And, and he can just be giggling and, and coming up with these little sly little hints and, yeah. and then watch his players when they hear it, just like, you know, the light is coming on behind their eyes and then get excited. I could see where that could be fun. Yeah. Where it's, <laughs> and then he gets people like, I don't care. Let's just go kill something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I guess yeah. that's what happens. If you run a Greyhawk game at a con for a bunch of people who have never played Greyhawk before, <laughs> They they would miss all of that stuff. 
Yeah, and I think it goes along with, you know, the, uh, it was the Empire of the Petal Throne, even though that's kind of uh, gotten marred by recent um, uh, revelations about the, uh, about the, uh, the author, but, uh, and there's other settings that are kind of that way too. Mm-hmm. But it's just, it's, it's, uh, RuneQuest is another one that's an amazing amount of lore, like you can get lost in. I've heard about that. I have yet to look in the Rune Quest, but I've heard it's 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 kind of like Greyhawk and that the amount of lore is just staggering. There's just a ton of it. Yeah, it's more staggering in the amount of it, but it also plunges deep into. I'm not using it in a disparaging way, but it's got very pagan roots and it explores mythology in a way that no other role playing game does. Really? So, so, oh yeah, magic, magic exists. So it's probably one of the high fan. I was call it high fantasy in the sense that magic abounds, but it's not quite like it is in like it's definitely, absolutely not like um, Forgotten Realms. It is Bronze Age, and it's weird mythology, and it's conflicting mythology, and mm-hmm. um, and it's it is it is definitely if you want to get involved in some very interesting history and cultures and situations. So yeah, and your adventures may not actually be traditional adventures. You know, you may be doing cattle raids too. So it's not, um, <laughs> and so, but my point is, is like, yeah, it's a very immersive one, but it's hard to, it, it can be hard. It can be very daunting to try and penetrate that as a new person or as a new yeah. GM trying to like for myself, you know, getting it, want to run it. It's just like, you know, it's like, how do you, you know, it, 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 some things seem like it's hard to, some things seem like it's hard to just dip your toe in the water. It's like you either have to plunge fully into this, mm-hmm. you know, to make it work or, or not. And that's what can be daunting with, I think, playing some games or in some settings. Yeah, I, that is true. Some of them, I, you re, it requires the, uh, the history lesson, if you will, in order for you to enjoy it. Yeah, because magic involves everything and you're tied to certain runes and you've got certain affinities to certain runes. And that affects the kind of magic that everybody uses and also kind of affects a person's personality and even affects mm-hmm. how they view life. Yep. And then your characters can die really easy because uh, you can get one hit from arrow, you're dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, shoot, I forgot about that. <laughs> You spend hours and hours and hours rolling up the the heraldry and the maybe not the heraldry, but the 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 history of your your parents, your grandparents, major events, and you know picking up your skills and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, and, and then once leg stone, you're done. Oops, you <laughs> fell down and took two hit points of damage. You're dead. <laughs> yeah, so that's another one where you just you don't really you don't really want to engage in combat if you don't have to, and if you do have to, you want to make sure. You got it's like my kids. I was running uh, old school essentials for these people. It's like after they got their their butts handed to them, and I try to explain to them that you know hiring mercenaries is part of the is really part of the um, the the expectation for this game. Then it's like okay, <laughs> that's your cannon fodder essentially. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, you will not survive. Yeah, so you know if you're a if you're a level one magic user with one hit point. As long as you can hire some hirelings, you may actually be okay. Yeah, exactly. 
just don't, just don't befriend them, you know, yeah. don't get too close to them. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So I just they keep them well, around for very long. You just keep them, keep them uh, well paid, but yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. So, so what, so what other games have you played? Have you ventured forth uh, much or have you stuck mo- mostly with D and D and, and I mean, crawl classics? So, I mean, it's mostly I've been so I've been, uh, mutant crawl class started out you know did some you know DCC stuff and mutant crawl classics uh, went into that play some Gaslands which is that's a hoot of a time oh that so that is if I recall correctly it's like a Mad Max miniature well, I'll say miniatures but you you can use your own Matchbox cars is that put out yes. by uh, Osprey yes over in the UK and it's a uh, one of the cool, so one of the cool things about it is, you know, if you see that, you know, people who are into Warhammer and they spend, you know, thousands of thousands of dollars on all these miniatures and that Gaslands is okay. I went to a thrift store and for $5 got like, I don't know, about 30 different matchbox cars, took them home, cut them up, glued some guns on them, painted them, you know, and had some fun with that. And then we play with those. So it, it's a, uh, yeah, Gaslands is a fun little game, um, and it's easy to to do in like a you know anywhere from a two to four hour session. So you know you can play one game, or like we did, what's called a televised series, where it's like a, it's essentially a campaign, and you have where you have teams and sponsors, and that that one actually is a, a whole lot of fun. It sounds like it. So yeah, kit bashing is a thing for that. It's probably as adds as much fun to it as even playing the game is just like you say going through and mad maxing up your matchbox cars oh yeah and and it was during covid so i mean i was sitting down you know i get done with work i'd shut off the computer and i'd stay at my desk for another i don't know my home desk here for another four hours just painting and (laughs) gluing stuff on cars and and that because what else am i going to do it's covid no one's going anywhere no one's doing anything yeah that was pretty crazy but it was, yeah, I ended up with, I played a team that was uh, Rusty's Bootleggers was the sponsor. So it was a bunch of redneck moonshine runners. And I just had fun making the craziest team I could. I ended up creating, buying, uh, getting a bus. So the bus has, um, you know, like eight passengers on it. So you get one attack per passenger. And then I hung a trailer off the back of it that was carrying peach moonshine, which meant I had unlimited Molotov cocktails. So I just pull up next to another car and it would be eight Molotov cocktails <laughs> launched at them. And that was another one of the side effects is that if you have damage that you take, you're on fire. And so that person will lose, um, will lose hull points on their car while they're on fire every time they have another action until they stop so it's uh yeah (laughs) it became fairly deadly i would go the opposite way so the race would go let's say everyone went from the right and around in a big circle i would go to the left so as they caught me i just bash them with all these molotov cocktails and watch them blow up so yeah i'm uh, I'm sure that made them all happy oh yeah uh, everybody hated it (laughs) (laughs) yeah but it was you know what it it was just it was fun because there's like a mad scientist um, who's a sponsor. So then that person gets like things like death rays and all these other crazy things. And one that's cops and another one of the guys had one that was uh, he themed his entire team after clowns. 
So it was all little clown cars driving around. So yeah, it was a, uh, it was just a, it, a fun way to, to just, you know, spend a few hours. And then we actually, it's funny is now we'll run, we'll run some DCC stuff. And then maybe we'll run some MCC and then say, you know what, we need a palate cleanser here. Let's play Gaslands for a little bit. And then we'll jump back into the other campaigns that we're running. So, uh, so you got a group. So do you guys rotate who's running games or do you, do you uh, have pretty much a standard GM or how's that work? So it started off. So Jeff Bernstein was actually the guy who I'm, I'm live right down the block from games plus, which I'm absolutely spoiled to have one of the best, you know, friendly local game stores around about three miles from my house. So <clears throat> Jeff Bernstein had done a regular Monday night, DCC group and I got hooked into them and then Jeff moved to Arizona and now he's running games out there. And so we have a few, bunch of guys and we'll kind of switch it up. Uh, Gary will run DCC stuff. Matt will run, you know, he, well, he hasn't been around for a while, but he'd run some DCC stuff. I've done some Lankmar. Um, I do all the MCC stuff for the most part. Uh, we kind of switch it up. Who's doing what. And no one really needs to run Gaslands. It's just show up with your cars right. and let's go. And we'll and a lot of time, and we run it as an open thing. So we'll have a lot of you know people coming in just to check it out. Hey, I've heard about this. You know, mind if I sit and play? Yeah, sure. Come on in, and we'll bring them in. And you know, so we've had a few more than our share of people come in for just one shots. That's neat. Yeah. So that's uh, it's it's good when you find a group and you can all kind of share the burden, have the same love. It's sometimes hard just to find a group, you know, that wants to play what you want to run. Yeah, <clears throat> that's true. I, I'm, I'm sure they get a little frustrated with me at times because I'll run a lot of play tests on them. So, Hey, here's another thing I made up. And it's like, Tim, that wasn't good. <laughs> so, <sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you got good friends. They can tell you that. Oh, I read Monday night. I ran them through a Lankmar one that I made up that turned into a disco uh, theme and yeah it, <laughs> they were calling it disco inferno by the end of the night because it was a total party kill after they took a uh a well-rolled fireball to the face so it was the whole the whole group just that two of them died in a dance-off so it was a disco dance-off that they had yeah i've never I, other than that cons i don't think i've ever been in, i've never been in a a dungeon crawl or mutant crawl classics game Really? Okay. The it most people, have, you know, and it, it, it cons they tend to run a lot of funnels, just because it, it fits very well at a con. But I kind of like some of the upper level stuff because magic is totally crazy. Um, when you start getting a little more upper level, just with you know, roll your d twenty. It's not. I guess I like the magic in that you know, like with five e. It's oh, it's a cantrip. Here you go you know, free, you know, freeze, freeze, freeze. Right. Yeah. Um, and it always goes off where it, you're just rolling to hit. Whereas with DCC, you roll every time to see what happens with the magic. Right. You know, Oh, you did one D three damage. Big deal. Or Holy cow. You just nuked like a 10 mile radius. Yeah, it's exactly. Everybody's so, dead, including your party. And that's why I kind of like where magic is not just something that's just tame. Yes. Magic is wild and magic is unpredictable. And people back away when the mage says, okay, I got this. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, that that actually happened to me in a play test on a Mutant Crawl Classic game that uh, that uh, Tim Schneider just put out when Manimals attack, and that we had this these things coming at us, and I happened to be a fern that had a radi uh, radiation generation, and I just said, "Step back, boys! I got this one." <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> everything got nuked. <laughs> everything. It was pretty funny. Well, and I think that is definitely the fun with the, at least what I've done with the Mutant Crawl Classics is just the, there is just a certain amount. I, I would say, maybe not of all of them, because I can't speak, but there's, there just seems to be, it, it's just really intended to be fun. Like really just yes. kind of giggle. I mean, not giggle, but just, there's really not really, I don't think ever intended to be any, any full seriousness to it, which I think to me, Gamma World was fairly serious. It doesn't seem like me and Carl Classics really has that level of, uh, intended to have that level of, of seriousness to it. You know, and that uh, to me, that's the whole point. I mean, these are games. Why do you yeah. play a game? You play a game to have fun. Or you don't, so you're not going to play 10 candles. Yeah, it, it's like is this fun you know what i mean it, it's and i guess that's the end of the night okay yeah thematically it didn't work but i had a good time okay, i've got cool. a friend in sweden yeah. it, they do larps that are like nothing like we do here it's multiple okay. days and it could be very intense and it could be very real world stuff like you're in a bunker really? world war ii and you're being shelled by germans you know and you're just slowly dying go <laughs> <laughs> It seems more like the uh, the reenactors here, you know, that do the uh, the Civil War reenactments oh, yeah. and all that stuff. But I think emotionally, they they do go through that. Um, you know, they they but they to them, it's 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 an emotional experience. And even like ten candles, where you're playing ten people and your and your candles are burning out, and everybody at the end's dead. And then you read a letter of the, the last thing you wrote to everybody. It's just you know, it's just, you know, I think it's meant to be a kind of a cathartic emotional thing rather than. A, but yeah. you're right. I, you know, <laughs> but who really wants to get very few people want to get in a, a room with, you know, four of their closest uh, friends and, and say, you know, by the end of this, we're going to be crying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's something I'm not going to try. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I like to have fun. <laughs> games are for, for me, games are for fun. Hey, if, if someone else, if that's their bag, hey, more power to them. Yeah, it's I think for most people, there is, I mean, for some people, again, it's, it's, and, and also, I mean, for some people, I think doing the edgier things, there is a certain value, but you're right, but, and it's just, yeah, finding the right people for the right kind of fun that matches what we do, because, yeah. right, it's just, some things for some people is fun, and other people's like, no, it's just a little too, like, you know, it seemed like the younger people, I mentioned before, it seems like you know, I think the level of which we play often tends to be at the level which when we grew up matches the medium that we consumed. Yes. So for That's me, true. you know, it was Thunder of the Barbarian, maybe a little bit of Star Wars, but it was Alien. It was the fantasy literature wasn't, it was more Earl Otis where, you know, that type of weirdness. But then kids growing up today, it's anime. And so for mm -hmm. them, it's, you know, they want things, you know, dialed up and, on, on, you know, on, on the zaniness a lot of times. And it is true. It's, I mean, we all go, why do you think old school is going, you know, is, is kind of a big thing right now, you know, with, you know, all the different old school type um, systems that you see. I think it's because, you know, 
I remember back in the day when I was, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, trying to scrape together the money to buy the books and talk my parents into driving me up to Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, so that I could go to the bookstore up there and get them. Uh, now I'm an adult. Now I have some spare cash and I want to relive some of the things that I did because that stuff was fun. And yeah, I think you're right. Cause I think there's a point where a lot of us had careers and family where we couldn't do that. And now we're just, all we really want to do is just give some people and laugh. <laughs> there's a lot of value in that. Have exactly. a shared experience. I mean, there, it's, there's a lot of, it's very cathartic to have, have these adventures with people. I mean, I'm former military and they always talk about, you know, band of brothers. And when you go through certain things, you know, you're, you know, you have a bond with people and not, I'm not by any means saying that playing these games is anything like going through the stuff that you go through in the military. But the reality is when you're sitting there going through an adventure with someone, you could run into that person three years later at a con and, Oh my God, do you remember when X blah, blah, blah. And you, and you remember the scenario and what happened and it creates a camaraderie just on, you know, that shared experience that you guys had doing that. Yeah, I think because I've also been doing some reading, um, this odds and ends, but I kind of wonder too. It's like, you know, there was mythology was created, you know, you know, from the early, early days of people. And, you know, I kind of think, you know, what's our mythology today? You know, we've talked about, you know, people talk about folk heroes, but really a lot of the times it is the, it is the, um, in the movies and the TV, but I'm thinking really role-playing games, I think in a way create a mythology that's a very meaningful myth. Like if people created myths because it was meaningful. In a sense, we're kind of creating myths at the table. And not that they necessarily take on a religious aspect, but there is something, you know, sacred's not the word, but there is something that does happen. I don't know that we can ever explain what it is, where everybody's together, we're playing a game, we're enjoying whatever that moment is and a narrative emerges from this thing. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing like it. I don't think that exists other than in role-playing games. Well, I mean, humans are social animals, right? And we we're wired in such a way that we want to be around other people and we want to, you know, and we want to experience things with other people. I think about it. It's if you're by yourself and something cool happens, you're thinking, oh, I can't wait to tell someone about it. Or oh, I wish so-and-so was here with me for this. Right. It, it, it's we're social beings and we want to be around other people. And part of and that actually increases our enjoyment for that. So when we're sitting around a table playing a game or if you're zooming and playing a game, uh, to me, I, I, I much prefer sitting around a table. It, it's, you know, you're seeing all the verbal cues from everyone. And it, it's not, I'm not a huge Zoomer when it comes to playing online games. That's just not, I, I would rather sit down at a table all day long. And part of it is because a lot of what happens is also the, uh, the 15 minutes before and the 20 minutes after the game. When you're, you know, sitting there shooting the bull with the people and, oh, hey, how's your mom? I know that this is going on and how's this? And it's about building relationships with people. It's not, you know, that's part of what this whole thing is. And I think that's part of the reason why cons are so popular is because 
Well, number one, you're getting together with a group of like-minded people and that we all have this hobby that's fun, but we've all shared the same types of experiences. So we're all willing to jump in at a table and you know what? I know what this is. I'm going to jump in and let's have some fun right now for a few hours because, and you're creating a whole new thing. I think the other thing too is what I think if we're all thrown together randomly into a room, we, it's very awkward, right? Nobody knows each other and you're just trying Uh to talk to people. You may be kind of shy, whatever. And it's, it's a very awkward moment. And maybe over time you'll develop some sort of rapport with a person, but when you're at a convention with playing a game, the social structures already lined up. You know exactly what you're supposed to do. You know your roles and everybody knows what to do. And you can, you can actually socially interact immediately with people, even though you're playing a game with, without that, that other stuff that needs to go on, what would happen if you're all at a party sitting in a corner trying to come yeah. up with some, some sort of meaningful, <laughs> you know, it just, it's immediate. And I think that's what's, what's vastly, what's great about it is, you can take a range of people like you may not normally have any sort of normal context to be dealing with them. It could be somebody 20 years younger than you or 20 people, 20 years older than you. So it be someone from a different country, but you can in a very short amount of time be socially engaging with different people in a meaningful way. Yeah. It cuts through all the garbage. It cuts through all the awkwardness. It just goes straight to, you know, something that's more meaningful. Yeah. And I think too is, and, you know, I think a lot of times, you know, being able to enjoy fun with people, it's just not always easy to do. And it's not something you can easily, I don't know there's any other way you can kind of schedule that. <laughs> like you can with a game. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, but don't forget everyone. Well, everybody, when you go in for a game and, and you go into a, a random store and say, hey, is there a drop in that I could go into? You know, you've got that, but I would say sports is another way that people do the same thing. Cause I know plenty of people who do, you know, drop in basketball games or hockey games or oh, other things where you're right. And even socially, if you're a sports person with other sports people, it's pretty quick. Yeah. How about them bears? Okay. <laughs> but it, you know what though, but here's, I guess here would be my, I don't, not that I'm arguing, but here would be my argument on that is, a lot of that stuff tends to be very surface. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, hey, how about the bears? You know, yeah. and and a lot of it is just surface level. Whereas I think some of the gaming stuff, you're actually seeing how the person reacts to different things and the way they do. Now, granted, a lot of times, yeah, you can take a basis of we like the same football team and that starts the conversation. And then we start building from there and talking about, all kinds of other things uh, and find out other areas that we have in common and where we get along. And, and, you know, you find out cool things about other people because I don't care who you are. Everybody's got some cool stuff that's happened at some point, you know, whether they think it or not, you you've done something that at some point I'm like, wow, that's cool. I wish I would have done that. Tell me more about it. Um, So, but I, I think with sports, it's very easy to be, Oh yeah. How about the bears? Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Great. (laughs) <laughs> oh, okay uh yeah have a nice day you know whereas when you're sitting at a game for a while it's like okay 
who's your character? Tell me about your character. And then you see how they formulate what the personality of this character is and where they're going from. And you can kind of say, okay, I see how this person thinks. Okay, cool. I, I dig that. What I've also finds kind of interesting too is that I don't think for casual gamers, but for we'll say more creative types, uh, the idea of being able to discuss and argue all sorts of things involving mechanics. I think it kind of involves <laughs> a way of being able to explore and argue about that. I was thinking about this. It's like, you know, if you if you start arguing any sort of religion or politics, it it, it just it it just turns a relationship sour like immediately. But Nowadays, here you can yes. <laughs> but here you can say, you know what, I think the Odiphius so. 2D20 system is crap. And you'd be like, well, what basis is, do you have for that? And I, and we can go through this whole debate about, you know, this, and nobody's going to be, well, most people are not going to be angry afterwards. Yeah. Or, <laughs> <laughs> you know? As long as it's not Grace, uh, what is it, uh, Greyhawk uh, lore, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. And I, and I know there are people that still drive me nuts that are just, some of the forums I'm on, it's just like, why are you so upset about this? This this doesn't yeah. affect you. Like, who cares? Yeah. Who cares? It's a it's a made up realm. <laughs> well, having just the, fun. <laughs> it's just the whole thing. Like 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 Wizard of the Coast. Yeah. You know, whatever. Oh, I say Wizard of the Coast. Well, Hasbro. Whatever they do, whatever they denounce, whatever they proclaim. It doesn't affect anything you've got. Like, why do you even care? Like, yeah, you know, if they say, you know what, we, we renounce Gary Gygax because he's, uh, I, whatever reason, it's like, who cares? Yeah. It doesn't matter. You've got your stuff, you know, or um, I'm resenting these people because they're not playing it the right way. It's just like, who cares? Who cares? Who cares? It's, you know what? It's, and I guess that's the sad part is I think a lot of people have lost the ability to, I don't want to say be cordial, but just to be accepting of the fact that other people are different. Not yeah. everybody thinks like me. And, and I'll be honest. I love the fact that not everybody thinks like me. This place would be, this planet would be really, really boring if we all thought the exact same way. We'd all be teaching love, finance, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which, by the way, is pretty darn boring to anybody except for me, right? I actually, I'm a finance junkie. And I, I read Warren Buffett's biography for fun. It, it, it's, you know, I'm weird like that. I like numbers. I like spreadsheets. Um, but it takes people like me to do what I do which means that, you know, other people who have created, like I said, I can't, I can, I can't draw a stick figure. I, I literally, I will draw a stick figure that you can't recognize as a stick figure. It's that bad. <laughs> I just have no artistic ability whatsoever, but, but let me tell you, I'll come up with a new monetary system in a heartbeat, <laughs> it's, but everyone is different and everyone is, is good at something. And everyone has certain things that, that they like and certain elements that they can bring into stuff and I, I miss the days when you could argue back and forth about things but still realize that hey at the end of the day you know what you're still a, you're still a human you're still an american you're still a cool person let's go have a beer you know? right we're not it's, we're not attacking the people we're just discussing ideas and, and critiquing ideas exactly and it's okay to have different ideas well so so i was i was you know of course i was being i was in ireland uh for a while 
and then I was, uh-huh. and some people would I was with from from the U.S. was there as well. They would say something, and I would make a statement, and then somebody would go kind of like, "Wow," and I'm like, I thought about it afterwards, like, I think the people I'm normally with, like, I can make a statement, and my expectation is for you to maybe even counter that statement. Yeah, but but I realize they don't necessarily work that way. It's a, so if I say, no. you know, I, I think this writer and such and such is probably overvalued, there's no counter from that other person. And I realize, you know, you got to be careful how you state that. But yeah, it's, it's the idea is we should be able to discuss ideas and tease things out and maybe even have our minds change. Because I don't necessarily come to positions that I state as a matter of I'm unchanging. It's just that this is my current state. I exactly. Think, I think Suez Lewis is an overrated writer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody could say, well, what about the line of which order? Well, I could, we could go on and on back and forth. I said, well, I think you got a point there, but you know, on this and this and this, and you know, yeah. it's, it's just, but you know, I think we've, we've lost that. Most people don't engage in that level of back and forth debating ideas. I grew up like that. So it, it's, you know, I get in trouble because I'll throw out that bomb and, and they're like, how dare you? And it's like, whoa, I, this is a discussion. This isn't a, you know, yeah. this is not a, I'm saying something because, you know, hey, this is a discussion back and forth. It's not a, my way is right and you're wrong. It's a discussion, you know, we talk back and forth with things. That's how the world works. Yeah, That's how I you think, learn. And I think it is like, even with my, I think it's kind of with my, I think with my sons and even my daughter's some degrees, we're, we're kind of that way where I'll, I'll say an opinion. They may agree or disagree and that's okay. And we can discuss it back and forth. It's like, that's <laughs> part of the so fun what? of it. So I, I've never been to Ireland. I did spend a lot of time in London and I, I actually found it kind of similar to what you're saying in that, you know, it, it's, you know, you make a statement and unless they agree with you, well, I take oh, no, that this, back. no, this was actually people I, from the U S I was with. So we were oh, kind really? of doing dinner. Yeah. But I just realized. I was going to say th- there are people that I talk with certain things about and they were just, yeah. W- yeah. No response. But the funny part was, if I ever really wanted to spark a thing, all I do is talk about a football team and, and just watch the fight erupt. I did not get to spend, I dealt with a number of people, uh, but I didn't really get to spend a lot of time with any particular person from uh, Northern Ireland. Okay. And so, I mean, I kind of got a feel for in general, but I kind of would have loved to have actually spent more time with, but most of the time was, was not with people from from Northern Ireland. Okay, but it's but it's definitely, <laughs> but it's, it's definitely a, a you know, things are different and uh, and it is a different situation. Even though we do share similarities, but you're right, there are differences in, even culturally how they yeah. view things. A common language does not mean we're the same people. <laughs> it's very different. Well. I- yeah because there's there's yeah you're right (laughs) the one thing that always cracked me up about about england in general was so as an american trying to do business when i was there i you know i'd call someone at 4 30 and they just wouldn't answer the phone 
And then it was, you know, it's too close to five because at 5.01, they're on their way out the door on the way to the pub to have a pint before they went home. Yeah. And it was every night that was the, you know, you no business got done from four o'clock on because it was, <laughs> yeah, I'm not starting something that I'm not going to be able to finish before five because I'm out the door at 5.01. Yeah, it's it is is definitely um, it, it definitely can't be that way. I've not yet. Yeah, fortunately, my situation was pretty more laid back. So the work I was doing there was pretty laid back. But yeah, I've okay. dealt with we dealt with moving uh, basically set up an emergency setup of a facility in Northern Ireland, the same facility I was at, uh, but this was like six years ago or so, and mm -hmm. one of the like purchasing. Uh, Purchasing. one of the managers there was just like i was trying to get hold of him because we're trying to get material so they can actually start production and i'm calling he's at home he's just kind of like yeah i, I don't work on fridays it's just like, <laughs> what are you doing for an emergency yeah, yeah, situation that's about right you're in management like, <laughs> but i think the people there now are, are not that way but uh but anyway it's it how long were you in england so I was on and off for over the course of two years where I'd go over there, work. We had a, the company I worked for at the time, uh, had an, we had an office that we built over there. So I'd go over for a few weeks and take over for the guy who was running it. And, uh, you know, he'd stay for a little bit and come back home and I'd run everything. And then, uh, he'd come back and we kind of keep swapping out so that I was never an expat. It was, you know, I was there long enough to not be an expat. As soon as I got close to that, it's like, okay, time to come home. I'll tell you my, I mean, every, for the most part, every, every person there was great to work with. It was absolutely the, yeah. the people were amazing. I found it super interesting. The fact that I was in England and everybody would drink Budweiser <laughs> and that blew my mind. <laughs> I'm like, you're drinking Budweiser. Guinness is, you know, an island over. They're like, oh, that's too far away. I'm like, and Budweiser and American beer is not? <laughs> well, and it's interesting. I mean, the, and I, I was, it's the food. It's the choices that it's just kind of weird too. It's like, you know, kind of like the same thing. It's like, you know, fish and chips is, is very popular, but they, but that's, uh, but they just want their fries plain for the most part. If not plain, oh then they're pouring they gravy don't even all get me started it. on the food. <laughs> it's, have you ever heard the one? What's the, uh, the, here we go. A little joke. What's the difference between the European version of heaven and hell? I don't know. European heaven is a place where the Italians cook everything. The English police everything and the Germans make everything. European hell is a place where the Italian, where um, the Germans police everything, the English cook everything, and the Italians <laughs> bake everything. You know, that is kind of funny because Italy, the southern portion, uh, is actually, uh, they're hard to get, they have like problems getting people to work there. Pretty much all yeah. the factories in the north. Because you're on the Mediterranean. Why would you, why would you go to work? Exactly. That was what is it? I had uh, so I was in a meeting with an economist, and we were talking about investing in Europe. And he said, "Look, if you want to invest in Europe, there's one rule you need to stick to, and that's 
if it's a place people want to go on vacation, do not invest there. All the manufacturing, all the good stuff is where people don't go on vacation. From an yeah. investment standpoint. Yeah, well, that does make sense. I guess the type of investments. Uh, I think Belfast is actually kind of becoming both. Okay. Only because, but I think the difference is, I'll tell you what the difference is, is I think what you're saying before is true in the sense that when you're dealing with a manufacturing base versus a tourism base, those are, but I think the type of industry, uh, like movie industries and some of the, so Belfast is becoming, um, <clears throat> they, they have the tourism, but they also have um, the um, Titanic Studios, which did the Game of Thrones. And I think there's a lot of other odds and ends that are kind of high in stuff that's being attracted, but manufacturing isn't. Yeah. So there, the the economies, well, economies are changing, and that may kind of maybe flip that a little bit. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Well, and some of the bigger cities kind of you know have different <laughs> things going on, right? You know, you've got specialties True. in different cities. So True. Um, as a general rule, though, if you're going to, you know, the coast in italy or you know the you know anywhere on the you know like barcelona you know outside outside of the city itself yeah it's mostly tourism based and there's not a lot of manufacturing there's not a lot of industry there that's outside of that tourism industry right now that's true that is true yeah it's it's uh and i think i think even and that's kind of an interesting thing too, because the dynamics of even where the world's changing too, from a, you know, how you would even pick. That's kind of even speculative now. I would think more so now than it was ten years ago, as far as trends and where things are going. And I think technology tends to create a lot of upheaval. Mm-hmm. Well, I look at it, the reason we can do what we do now as zines. Look, it's a hundred percent because of technology. I, I would have figured out how to do what I do with this thing were it not for the technology, right? Um, right. So, right. Small publishers couldn't get their stuff out were it not for technology and you know the programs that are available and DTRPG and a lot well, of Well, even just the simple fact of, you know, you, you got a hold of your niece, I need a, a, an artist. Mm-hmm. So old days, you would have called the guy. <laughs> He would have sent some copies of some sketches in the mail to you. <laughs> right? Oh, so you're going pre-fax machine even. <laughs> well, but yeah, when I mean, you talk about technology, just yeah. the internet, you think about what that has changed. You know, yeah. not just even just the printing, but even the way we communicate. And I got an artist, you got an artist in Florida, I got an artist in 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 Taiwan. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you know that book the world is flat it's like it is flat you you yeah. could have you can have somebody doing layout for you in in switzerland you can have somebody doing art for you in brazil and you could you know have people writing from you for you in you know in australia it doesn't yeah. really matter whether in australia or they're next door it's it's the same exactly and it and everyone's doing it all at the same time it's not like if you think about it it was i had there was an academic paper that was done about the process of building a car during, you know, when, when Ford was doing his thing and it went from how long it took to engineer it to smelting the iron 
in order to you know to make it because they they controlled the entire process beginning to end right yeah and that's why they would come out with one model car and you could have it any color you wanted as long as that choice was black um to now you know you've got a team on one side of the world working on just one system of the car and while someone else is designing it and someone else is doing the electrical system and someone else is doing the airbags, right? And then they're all putting it together over a matter of weeks as opposed to a matter of years. It is pretty astounding. Yeah, yeah we, live, it's, we live in a gilded age as far as being able to do this kind of stuff, that is for sure. Well, and that's when they talk about, and from a business standpoint, that's when they talk about productivity gains. That's what they're talking about. I mean, even everything as simple as, what was it like when you went to get a, a prescription from your doctor, right? You'd have to go to the doctor, see the doctor, get the thing signed. Then you go to Walgreens, hand them the slip. They wouldn't be able to read it. So they'd have to call the doctor to figure right. out what it was. Then they'd put the prescription together. And meanwhile, you're sitting there waiting for two hours for your script, right? And then, you know, and then you go home. Now it's like you leave your doctor's office. They've already electronically sent it to Walgreens. You go through the drive through and they hand it to you, and it, and it was, what, 30 seconds later? Or if you had to sit on your own, you did it on an app on your phone. So what used to take us hours now takes us, a, you know, two minutes. It's magic. It really is. That's what I tell my kids. It's like, you don't know what it was like before. It's fine. I'm sure their reality is going to be even more magical as technology goes forward. But, yeah, it is interesting. Well, I think we're hitting the time-space continuum. Sounds great. It's uh, it was a fun talk. I appreciate it. I enjoyed it. Oh, I did too, Tim. It's getting dark in my room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it is getting a little late. But it is. Uh... It is. I should have turned the light on. I, I didn't know. But anyway, th- thanks <laughs> no for worries. joining me and uh, I'll have to have you on again sometime. My pleasure. I, I appreciate it. I really do. Take care, man. And, and once again, I also want to say thanks for your show because the modules I put together would not have come out were it not for your show and a couple of others, you know, Trevor and, and Levi and uh, Jim and, and, you know, Skeeter and some of the other guys out there. So I, I just want to say thanks for it to do and, and say that I appreciate the stuff that you've been doing. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. It's just definitely, and you know, even you know, honestly, all I've, all I've been doing, all I've been doing is just interviewing people. <laughs> i just talk to people i just get people on there who are interesting and have experiences and that's uh you know that's been something i've been thankful for just having great people on like yourself i appreciate it it's a keep it up it's i like it It, it's i'd rather sit there and throw on a podcast and listen to you chat with some people that had cool stuff to say than you know listen to another report about who's doing what and you know all the garbage that they call news today so yeah i i I appreciate the podcasts okay i appreciate that Tim. and uh, you take care thanks jeff you too